Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 305. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Bell number 203, The Kareem Nazari Show. Also, because as of today, time of this recording, which is a Sunday, it is also the 35th anniversary of the movie Angel Heart, which... Catherine, I mean, it's the weird thing is that I showed it to you guys and that that became one of those shows that you rewatch all the time. And I just rewatched it for the first time in at least 20 years. Yeah. Like literally the day before yesterday, I think is when that happened. Yeah, pretty much. So we're going to do the recap first and then we're going to talk about Angel Heart. Uh, As for the weekly set rep, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the world is still in the middle of a pandemic. We still have a global conflict going on. The politics in the United States is still kind of a dumpster fire. Is there anything else we need to add? Um, I just bottled my uh, next batch of prickly pear wine, and um, that's about it. Okay. All right. That's perfectly fine. I think that's a nice thing to go with. (laughs) I think so. At least we know that went relatively well, (laughs) like everything sure. else right about now. Sure. Interesting. You were talking about uh, bottling stuff. Um, randomly, I put together a sort of like a, a railing herb garden box on my balcony so I can grow some chives and grow some basil and everything. And I randomly just picked up a jalapeno peppers plant. And I would really like to make my own pickled jalapeno peppers because I like those. So I think that's a fantastic idea. Yes. And as as I have found out, um, having your own preserved vegetables is like a million times better than anything you can buy in a store. Even if you've like only ever done it a couple of times. It is still so tasty. I agree because I haven't bought sweet pickles on my own ever since you started sending me the sweet pickles that you make because every time I buy them, I'm like, well, these are fine, but they're not like Catherine's. So I didn't think that I liked sweet pickles until Nathan got a recipe from his mom and we started making them. And I'm like, oh, these are better than dill pickles. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Anyway. Uh, so that's, I don't know, that's the news from the world, I guess. But uh, so <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> so the Night Vale intro, we never heard from Cecil in this one because we heard more of like your typical late night independent radio broadcast, I suppose. Yep, it's the Kareem Nazari show in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's this episode was a very traditional short story format, I think. Because, yeah. I mean, different from a usual Night Vale episode, it is Kareem Nazari who apparently has this radio show where he has people call in to tell him conspiracy theories. And he he has his parents visiting him and they wanted him to have some wine with dinner. And he says no because he's recording the episode. And he said, you listeners get drunk and I debunk. So he's very firm about that. <laughs> he started out by talking about the fact that his parents are visiting and they told him a conspiracy theory that they apparently believe and it's freaking him out. Yep. They, it's not that they believe that the moon landing was faked. I mean, they do kind of believe that. What they actually believe is that the moon doesn't exist. Yeah, and um, he doesn't know how to deal with this. I mean, he says they're both very, very rational people, but they're just laser focused on this idea of the moon not existing. So he takes his first caller, 
who sounds like the regular conspiracy theory buff, you know, doesn't want to give his name, which Kareem accidentally guesses at one point to assign him a name. But anyway, mm-hmm. but he's been talking to someone from this small desert town and he tells Kareem, yeah, the moon doesn't actually exist. The existence of a moon is the conspiracy theory, which, I mean, he starts talking about George Soros owning whatever and Kareem just cuts him off. I'm like, wow, we've gotten to the anti-Semitism right off the bat. So he takes the next caller. (laughs) Yep. And it's a really nice woman and she has been listening to the broadcast, obviously, and she apologizes for the previous caller and everything. But she tells Kareem, she starts talking about the existence of doppelgangers. And he's like, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm sure there's like probably two people in the world who look exactly like the same person. Sure. And she's like, no, no, I just talked to you. And she describes meticulously this meeting with this person who was apparently Kareem. And she was a little starstruck and she was also a little drunk. But she describes how Kareem is missing a nail on one of his fingers. And the reason why this Kareem had told her about it is she had had a tooth removed at one point and she felt really weird about it because, you know, like a piece of herself is missing. And he had basically, you know, had a nail that didn't ever grow back in after an injury. And he had said how he liked being not normal and how most people have boring fingers and he has interesting fingers. And he said, most people have boring smiles and you have an interesting smile. And this is all well and good, except the Kareem who's doing this show is obviously really freaked out because he's like, how did you know about the finger? And she's not getting that he's really freaked out, even though this is kind of freaky, because she manages to verify the fact, you know, she was thinking, ah, maybe I caught you, because you always say that you record these episodes live, but maybe you pre-recorded this one. So she called him up and talked to him and found out, oh yeah, there is two of you. And then she gave the other Kareem, the radio host Kareem's address. And I'm thinking, ha run! <laughs> yeah, no, this is really scary. Yeah, exactly. And of course, that other Kareem manages to call into the radio station. And this Kareem talks about the fact that he has been stuck in Night Vale since 2015. And I checked. There's, there's a couple of really good Night Vale wikis out there. And yeah, Kareem Nazari has been the longest surviving intern from Night Vale Radio. He's been on, counting this episode, 13 episodes. So he's, he's been around for a good long while, and he's been trying to get back to Michigan. And he is so thrilled to be here where everyone actually knows how to pronounce the name Michigan. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So what was the part of the episode where they mentioned Slab City? Because as soon as they said Slab City, I like perked up in my chair. I can't remember. What was that bit? I, I don't get that reference. I think it was I think it was the other Kareem. It might have been our Kareem who mentioned it. It's like, oh, yeah, you're one of the Night Vale people. What are you going to talk about next? Slab City? Slab City is just outside of Salvation Mountain, which is a place that me and my friend Alex went to, uh, oh, shoosh, like 2015, I suppose. Salvation Mountain is this area out in the desert, um, just this man-made mountain with all these strange paintings on it and religious symbols, beautiful for Instagramming. And right next to it is Slab City, which is basically a bunch of people living off the grid. But I like took this wonderful picture of this, I don't know, random car out in the middle where 
somebody had just like covered it with the, I don't know, like figurines and glass baubles and everything. I mean, it was so weird, but it's just, as soon as they said Slab City, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to go back out there. It's just so, <laughs> and we never got too close to anybody's house. Cause I'm like, I don't know how many of these people have guns. These people are literally living out in the middle of nowhere to make sure that no one finds them, but they have the most random artwork all over the place. <laughs> well, it's really interesting that Kareem, the radio host, knows what Night Vale is and that it's something that people have been talking about a lot. But mm-hmm. is this all a tie-in to that wonderful episode where um, I think it was Jeffrey Craner starts getting calls from people saying that Night Vale is real and then he manages to find a door into Night Vale? <laughs> and by Jeffrey Craner, I, of course, meant Joseph Fink. <laughs> I'm sure it is because Kareem even talks about he talked to the former mayor of Nightvale who told him about a door. And I'm like, oh, that's Dana. But he said at one point, he's just like, I'm Kareem too. And I just want to talk to my parents again. So I don't, I mean, it's, it's, he's like the Kareem that's been living in Nightvale has not had any contact with the Kareem that lives in Michigan or however you pronounce it. So it's just, it's very, I don't know, it's really creepy because both of them believe that they're the real Kareem. Yeah, the Kareem from Nightvale thinks maybe they split off from each other when he got the internship, but Mm -hmm. he's been trying to write and call his parents and the radio station Kareem. This is a really nasty situation because it's been terrifying his parents to be getting these calls and kind of shaking their belief in reality, which I have Mm -hmm. to imagine had something to do with the fact that they think that that the moon doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And the radio cream finally gets freaked out enough. He's like, okay, everybody, we're going to cut this episode short. Uh, here's uh, My Love by Scarlet Sales. And we go straight to the music. And then there was no mention of like weather or anything. It was just right to the music like any other normal radio show would do. And I didn't really pay attention to the weather very much because I was busy looking up Night Vale wikis while I was playing it. <laughs> it sounded rather pleasant, but it reminds me, if anybody else out there has musical talent, Night Vale is accepting submissions to Night Vale weather again. They don't yep. do this very often because they pointed out they only have 20 episodes a year. So mm-hmm. they, they fill up those slots pretty fast. So yeah, go to their website, you know, try to submit something. Yeah, I remember way back in the early days of Night Vale, like the sign-off thing that they would do at the end is like, would you like to have a Night Vale weather piece and everything? Contact us at blah, blah, blah. And it didn't last very long because I think they just got completely overwhelmed with submissions, so they Mm -hmm. cut it off. This is the first time in I don't know, like 10 years that I've heard them say anything about, hey, do you want to have a music piece on the Night Vale weather? Contact us. So um, yeah, if you're a band who has pieces that are just different and interesting, I mean, everybody thinks their pieces are different and interesting and fun. Just contact them. They have submission guidelines and all that kind of stuff. Seriously, take advantage of that. Well, we get back and we get a message on a voicemail and it's Gina and She's just still talking and being all chatty and everything and saying that she saw him go to this door along the street with an old couple. Oh, are that your parents? She's clueless, but she says she went to follow afterwards and the door wasn't there anymore. But she still sounds like she's a little bit drunk. She's kind of having trouble pronouncing the name Michigan. But anyway, she just kind of gets all bubbly and everything and signs off. And then we get another voicemail, and it's Kareem. Yep, and he tells 
our radio show, Kareem, he's like, well, you know, I'm taking mom and dad with me. They're coming with me. So basically this other Kareem has managed to go through the door long enough to get his parents from, I don't know, our world, and he's taking them back. And he tells our Kareem, I would have taken you with me. But his friend, the former Night Vale mayor, she told him that bad things happen to doubles in Night Vale. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't. Aside from Cecil and Kevin, I don't think we actually have any surviving doubles in Night Vale that I can remember. I don't think so. I mean, Dana went through a whole thing with the fact that she murdered a double and Mm -hmm. had to confront all of the other Danas from all the other realities who were not happy with her about that. So Mm -hmm. I can understand Kareem not wanting to bring himself to Night Vale, but he said he has to bring his parents because he needs them to believe him. And he says, I'm really sorry, buddy. They'll be back, probably. (laughs) Oh, man. And that was pretty much the end of the episode right there yeah it was is his voice started fading out like staticky and he also started having trouble pronouncing michigan Mm -hmm. and he did mention that he's glad that people are talking about night vale now because maybe we'll be able to get some roads in and out of this town soon and then you'll be able to visit like i don't know if that'd be a good idea this is like this is a series of episodes we've had about the idea of night vale being a real thing and maybe there being a connection in between the world that the listeners are listening to and the Night Vale that's been created, which is a nice little touch, you know? I mean, because I think there's a lot of us have been listening to this show for the last uh, almost 10 years, I guess, now? So, um, yeah, it's the idea of actually being able to hop over into that world is interesting. I don't think I'd want to live in Night Vale because Night Vale is honestly dangerous. Oh, well, yeah, it's I think a 50 percent survival rate sounds a little bit high, don't you? I mean, for all the disasters that come through with doppelgangers and, I don't know, street cleaning day and poetry week and all dangerous stuff. I don't know. And people always joke about the whole doppelganger thing. I don't (laughs) I I personally don't believe that doppelgangers are the same thing as twins only because. (laughs) we are twins but at the same time i don't know if it would be really safe for both of us to go into night vale so possibly possibly not would it be interesting if both of us met our doppelgangers at the same time oh my god that would be so weird anyway (laughs) so that was it for night vale yeah the um i guess the night vale show is still going on right now. still got tickets end of march so really looking forward to that it's good good man i'm uh it's been so long since i've been able to kick back and relax at a show and maybe not have to wear a mask. I don't know. The mask rules are being relaxed every day, so who knows? Know. Maybe by end of March, things will actually feel a little safer. That'd be great. I'm a knock wood all over the place because there's a lot of times when we'd be like, oh, hey, it looks like the numbers are going down, and so maybe we finally hit the end of this pandemic, and then it goes right back up again. So, <laughs> ugh, God. So, to uh, move on to more positive news, and I mean move on to more creepy news, the movie Angel Heart, which, if you have never watched this film, I mean, it's a 1985 movie, and I was really surprised at how well it held up. Now, didn't the intro credits kind of look like um, 
Friday the 13th, the series, a little bit. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Even yeah. the font looked like that. And I think they both came out at like the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what got me was, okay, so it was 1987, I believe, that this came out. And it was talking about events that happened in 1955, right? Mm-hmm. So basically 32 years after the events happened. So we are now in the present day farther away from this movie's creation than the movie was talking about the events. I'm like, oh, God, my brain hurts. I ah. know. And I just think I just, my bones just crumbled into dust here. I know. I was like, oh, God. Uh, and Mickey Rourke, who um, looks, I mean, he was such a looker back then. He's had an awful lot of facial surgery done, and I'm not sure what's happened there. He's also been a boxer, and that's a lot of damage that happens just from being a boxer, too, I think. True, true. I mean, they talk about the damage that's happened to NFL football players, which, I mean, on the whole NFL and the concussion damage and everything... Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have football anymore, that people are getting hurt too much. I'm saying that it does seem that the NFL has covered up the fact that people were suffering the damage. I honestly think that if you tell people flat out, if you play this sport, you could get concussion damage and you could be brain damaged, you could have medical bills, all this kind of stuff. And for the money that these people are paid, there would still be people willing to do it. It's just shitty right now that they're just... Just, they're kind of saying, no, everything's fine. You could just make a ton of money. Everything's great. I'm like, just be honest with people. God. Well, that's that's a tough, uh, that's a tall order with the NFL, unfortunately. Nathan lost a lot of interest in watching the, um, football for a while. Maybe still, actually, because of watching a documentary about the concussion problem. And the NFL, yeah. it's not just that they're not admitting it. It's that they have gone on attack mode of any doctor trying to disseminate this information and you've had NFL former NFL players who have committed suicide because the effects of the concussions are so bad and one guy specifically shot himself in the heart because he wanted to make sure that doctors could autopsy his brain and see the damage that had been done that was junior south so um i remember i was looking at an article about that and they had a link and i'm sorry i listened to this they have a link to a recording of the 911 call that his wife or girlfriend, I can't remember, that she made to 911 when she found him in the bed. And oh, dear Lord, I wish they hadn't put that up there because you don't really, you know, if you want to hear that, go fine, go listen to it. But it's awful, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's a tangent right there. But um, anyway, oh, God. <laughs> We're talking about a horror movie and we get into real life horror. Sorry, let's go back to the, let's go back to the movie horror. Um, Robert De Niro is in this movie. Doing oh my god! Especially creepy role. He steals every scene that he's in. I adore the scene where Harry Angel, the main character, meets with uh, Louis Cipher, Robert De Niro's character, in a church. And just the way De Niro plays that the whole time, when, you know, Harry starts swearing at one point, he's like, this is a church, please. (laughs) And he's always like, he's always kind of smiling when he says it, which should be like, 
should be a clue to you the type of person he is. He's like, we're in a church, watch your language, but he's still smiling. You know? it's just, I like the scene where he's eating an egg in front of him. Like He's got those long fingernails, which look really awesome. I mean, such a nice little touch to have those fingernails. But he's like cracking the egg and rolling it on the plate and chomping into it and everything. You're like, ah. oh my he, goodness. He definitely aggressively eats an egg right at Harry Angel. I mean, oh there's goodness. a threat involved in that scene there. There really is. And Lisa Bonet, this was the role, like, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast have heard this before, but, you know, she was on the Cosby show playing the teenage daughter, a nice little girl. And this was the role that she took right after that, where this sex scene is so graphic and there's like water dripping on them on you know completely naked and then blood dripping on them and then screaming and it's like it's like the most the furthest from her role from the Cosby show that she could possibly get now i i looked up on this and apparently she says she went to Cosby to ask him for permission to do this role. I'm like, why should you fucking have to ask him for anything? But fine. And he had said, okay. And then there were rumors that he said, no, it was awful. And then it came out that he was like, no, it was fine. But then later people said that he was like, it's black people put into a voodoo scene and showing their tits all over the place. I'm like, I have no idea at this point. Well, I don't know that Cosby has a leg to stand on and when talks about representation, you know, he can just sit his ass down at this point. Certainly can. I think it's, uh, you know, of course, she's been in the news lately because she was married to Kravitz for a while and then she was with Momoa for a while and then they recently broke up and then her daughter is Zoe Kravitz and Zoe Kravitz is the newest Catwoman. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, well, some, yeah. some acting talent because she does a very good job. I mean, she's playing oh, yeah. this teenage woman, Epiphany Proudfoot, who also happens to be a, you know, high-ranking voodoo priestess and and there's a graphic scene where she kills a chicken and I don't know if a chicken actually dies but I would hope not but yeah but yeah but she's also just got this very direct way of talking and she doesn't look like she gets intimidated easy and there's just a lot of sexual chemistry between her and uh, Mickey Rourke's character so so much of this movie is just it's so appealing to watch it. I never get bored in any of the scenes watching no, any of no. this. But it is also intensely creepy in the yeah. way that is so hard to do. Like Harry Angel just staring in at a church while outside it's dark and windy and he looks in and there are these two girls in nuns outfits reading a book that they look up and stare at him simultaneously and you go, I just got to chill. I mean, just yeah. just the way it's filmed is beautiful and that, that heartbeat soundtrack that just yes. kind of runs anytime he starts getting nervous and you start hearing that heartbeat and you're like, oh God, something bad's going to happen. Oh man. Now, the city that he, of course, it starts out out in New York. York. Yeah, New York. Okay, so it starts out in New York, and then he goes, does he go to New Orleans? Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a bit of a love letter to New Orleans. I mean... Eh, one could say a stereotypical New Orleans kind of the voodoo era of 1955, you know, whatever. But it's just the scenery is so lush and beautiful and the inside of these homes that he goes into and everywhere he just, oh, it's really beautiful. And he goes into the home of a woman who had been kind of a medium working out of Coney Island, New York. Mm -hmm. And he finds her there. And do you know what the actress has done recently? 
Wasn't she in Black Mirror? I don't know. I just know that she was the main mother superior priestess Bene Gesserit woman in Dune. Oh, no kidding. That's right. Yes, Ah. yes. And the thing was is that looking at her face, I mean, this is many years ago, so looking at her face, you can kind of see it, but her voice is unchanged. Exact same voice. (laughs) Okay, here's a random connection uh, as far as actresses. Yes. When Harold Angel goes to this clinic where supposedly the person that Lewis Cipher is looking for has been in a comatose state for years and years, he talks with a nurse. And, you know, she looks like someone who could kind of be a hard ass, but she's charmed because everybody's charmed by Harry. Um, so her name, the actress's name is Kathleen Wilhoyt. Do you know what she's been in? I She looked really familiar when I saw her. I was like, oh, my, you're, it's totally a hey, it's that girl type of actress. Yeah, she was the medium in that old 1980s movie, Witchboard. That's the one! Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> I was so looking at familiar. that going, oh, my God, I know that's got to be the same person. Yep. Oh, and it is. Man. Yep, yep, that's awesome. But she did such a good job in Witchboard. I watched that a couple of years ago, and I Same. swear to God, it's it's so it's like ridiculous and cheesy, but at the same time, it's really good and really creepy. Yes, it is. Yeah, yep. Oh man, but just the whole thing and the way it leads up and what it's been doing and the cinematography is really off the charts. And there are, I would say, eh, maybe just one example of CGI that's a little cheesy, but the rest of it just looks really flawless. It's, it's, it's the glowing eyes, right? Um, the glowing eyes, maybe. The little kid with the glowing eyes. Well, yeah, because you couldn't count on a little kid to hold still long enough to make that menacing point at the very yeah. end. So, yeah, 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 it was a little, eh, but that's, I mean, at that point, I mean, considering this is 1987, I was like, I'm going to give you that one. That's yeah. fine. No. As far as cinematography, the DVD that I loaned you has a commentary track by the director, Alan Parker, and Mm -hmm. I would recommend that. Now, it's not like a lot of commentaries I've listened to. There's not a lot of joking. There's not an extra person in that can laugh at, you know, the stories and everything. And he's talking. Some of it sounds like it's a little dry, but this was made... um, uh, the commentary track, I think, was made in 2000. Okay. And he hadn't actually watched this movie for several years, for many oh, wow. years before that. So it was like he was rediscovering a lot of it and talking oh, wow. about the things that he was pleased with how it worked and, you know, things that were a little tricky to do, like that scene where he goes to Mr. Cruzmark uh, and they're at a steeplechase, I think, or a, a horse yes. race or something like that. And they're having this conversation and you're looking at them leaning over the rails as they're waiting for the horses to come down and you're looking all the way down the field at these horses that are coming in and they come in right when you get to that part of the conversation that it switches around to looking at at them, you know, face front. The timing on that was pretty amazing and it's very effective. But one thing that um, Alan Parker talks about is... He mentions two scenes in particular. One is the scene where Harry Angel and that journalist that he's shacking up with, she's telling him the story about 
the person that he's looking for and some of his connections. And the whole time he's like, they're getting ready to have sex and he's unbuttoning her bra and helping her pull down her stockings and everything. And the director says, this is a lot of exposition and you have to give people something to look at so they don't know that they're getting exposition. It's true. It's true. Honestly, I mean, it's a really sexy scene and there's a lot of boobs showing. And it is funny how even if you're not particularly attracted to boobs, your whole brain is like, wow, there's boobs. And meanwhile, you're absorbing all this exposition that's happening on the screen. So it's like, that's very effective. Yeah. And the other thing was that scene where he's talking to a woman who worked at Coney Island with Margaret Cruzmont, and he's interviewing oh, her, but she's yeah. standing out in the ocean, facing away from him, shouting her exposition back at him. And the director said, it's the same thing. It's a lot of exposition, and you've got to do something other than two people's standing face-to-face talking to each other. Yep, yep. And then I, of course, looked at the IMDb trivia, and they actually had a different actress, I believe, and I forget the actress's name, but they had a slightly better-known actress doing that role, and she actually got knocked down by a big wave in the water, and, I don't know, they said almost drowned. I don't know, but apparently after that, she quit. The woman that they actually have doing that scene was the stand-in for that scene, and the director even feels like that woman was probably better for the role in anyway. Not to downplay the fact that if you get knocked down by a wave and almost drown, that's awful, and you have absolutely, absolutely every right to quit. But um, yeah, it's just one of those random, weird things that happens. Yeah, the director told that story as well, and he said they had the actress who fell down, who got knocked down, they had to give her the kiss of life. I mean, she almost drowned, so it was was bad. Very bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it was cold, too. I mean, freezing cold. Can you imagine almost dying because a director wanted a different way to deliver exposition? I mean, Good grief. Jesus, I can't even imagine. We're so spoiled because we grew up in Florida on the Gulf Coast. Mm -hmm. And so we're used to going swimming in ocean waters that are literally like bath water sometimes. You know how when you you go out in the ocean and sometimes you get the water up to your stomach and you're like, eat, 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 it's cold, cold, cold. I mean, you could just go into the Gulf in Florida and just fall down into the water. It's so comfortable. I don't go swimming out here in San Diego. It's too freaking cold. (laughs) It's very cold. We've been out to the beach a few times. And I'm like, but we have to go swimming. It's the beach. You step a little ways in. Nope, 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 nope. 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 I actually went to a beach party at one point. I'd probably been in town for a few years, and I'd told somebody that story. I'm like, oh, it's too cold. And it was September. And they said, well, it's September. The water is as warm as it's ever going to get, so you better go swimming now. And I did. And it was freaking cold. So, no. (laughs) Ugh. Anyway. Yeah, I'm really glad. I don't, because I remember we watched that in my apartment in Asheville. And I think it was my idea to watch it. I'm trying to remember. I almost think Nathan might have suggested it. I, can't, I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of another reason why we would have looked at that and thought, oh, hey, let's watch this. Because I don't think we were into De Niro at the time. And we had no idea who Mickey Rourke was. No. But no. what I remember is that was just one more thing that gives this weird tinge to my memories of that apartment that you had. Because yeah. we watched Angel Heart. We yep. watched The Craft. We watched Cell for crying out loud. Oh, my God. No. Oh, we also watched The Cube. Oh, wait. That's right. Cell, we watched. I think we saw that in the movie theater. The Cube was what we watched at your place. I can't believe we watched that movie. That is a kind of horror movie that I do not like because it is kind of a downer. Yeah. It's really interesting, though. (laughs) It sure is. Not bored. That's for sure. Also, I, I know I watched... 
the um, uh, the documentary, the the faux documentary that they did for the Blair Witch Project. I watched that in that apartment. Oh wow! You watched? Did we bring that with us? I don't think I watched it with you guys. I think you loaned it to me, and I watched it by myself. And it's one of the few times that I could remember that when I went to bed that night, I had to leave all the lights on in the apartment because I was really freaked out. That like is almost. I've talked to multiple people about that. That fake documentary for Blair Witch Project freaked out a lot of people almost more than the movie itself. I think so, because I had trouble sleeping after that as well. Mm. Although, part of that is because, and I have looked for this, and I've never been able to find it, but there was an online ad for Curse of the Blair Witch. And it's it's animated, but what it is, it's those weird woodcut or pen and ink oh, drawings man. from the documentary. Yeah. And you won't you can't see them in the animation. It'll be just black, but then this like slice will come down from like the side of the screen or from the top of the screen, just giving you like a an angular fragment of that painting. And meanwhile oh, you're hearing the sound of Heather crying in the background or <laughs> Heather and Mike screaming for Josh. And that scared the hell out of me. I wish to God I could find it ever since. But, I mean, you can find commercials for the movie, and maybe you can find a commercial for Curse of the Blair Witch. You cannot find that particular ad anywhere. I've looked that's, I mean, that is such an example of great marketing because they basically, they created a viral marketing campaign, and that was what, uh, 1990. I know, eight? When did that movie come out? I mean, um, it was like 99? 2000? Might have come out in 2000, know. I think. It was because it was well before I moved to San Diego, and I moved to San Diego in 2000. So oh, okay. Know, it's yeah. Just, I don't, and that's something about that woodcut drawing. So when I first moved to San Diego, you have in Balboa Park, you have uh, um, one of the many museums in Balboa Park. (laughs) When I first was going to come out to San Diego, I was looking for things to do, and they kept listing all these different museums, and the address was always Balboa Park. I'm like, how big is this friggin' park? Really big. (laughs) Very large. But the Museum of Man at the time had an exhibit called Torture Throughout the Ages, and they had, some of them were reproductions, and some Some of them were real, but there's all these just basically torture tools and devices and various things. And a lot of them had the descriptions and they would have pictures on it illustrating what they did. But the illustrations, most of the time, were those old woodcut drawings, very basic kind of almost stick figure type things. And it's the only time I have ever, I was like walking around, I was fascinated looking at this stuff, looking at these pictures. And I was like, boy, I feel really hot and my ears are ringing and my head hurts. I'm going to go outside and sit down. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> really, really bothered me. And it was the woodcut drawings that I always remember. Somehow that's worse. It's worse than seeing like an accurate depiction of what those things do. I think because, I mean, were they were they actual illustrations from the time or were there an artistic rendering? Like people decided they could only push things too far before it got too graphic? Because it, it does feel worse if it's if somebody was making these drawings as kind of like instructions for people on how to use right. them and right. and the effort that people would have had to go to to design these things and then make them. I mean, oh, it, it really man. encompasses a lot in that little yeah. drawing, I would think. Yeah, I, I think the Torture Through the Ages exhibit may have come somewhere where I was, and I specifically remember not going because of yeah. you telling me how much it had bothered you, because I was just like, yeah. it sounds fascinating, and man's inhumanity to man 
And I just don't think I could absorb that right then. Nope. And I probably nope. still can't. No, it's funny because I sometimes will go for a run with friends and we'll go through that area of Balboa Park. And every single time I run by that thing, I'm like, oh, it's the Museum of Man. That's where I saw torture throughout the ages. I don't think I've even set foot in that particular room again since then. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm just fine. <laughs> so anyway, back to the movie. Yes. Uh, this was based on a... Um, Hjortsberg, I think is the name of the author, uh, he wrote a book called Falling Angel. And I actually reviewed that for Pixley the Geek. The review's yes, probably up there somewhere. And yeah. they made changes. And apparently the director got permission from the author to make the changes. Because in the oh, wow. book, they don't go to New Orleans. It's all in New York huh. City. And, oh, and Alan Parker thought that some gumshoe going around investigating a murder in New York. It's been done so many times, and he really thought you could open it up and take it to New Orleans. And I agree. I think that made that's an excellent touch. And something about the sweltering nature of New Orleans, and the fact that fans, you know, fan blades moving or spinning whatever is a portent for evil in this movie, and that always works really well. But there were still things in that book that I thought worked really well, like there was a Black Sabbath that takes place in the subways, and it takes place on an abandoned station that's cut off from the public in the underground, uh-huh. and the whole thing is only lit by the lights of the subways as they go by. I'm oh, like, oh that would have been amazing to see. But I think yeah. he wanted to tell a different story here. He didn't want the supernatural nature to be real until you really got it in your face what the hell was going on. Oh, it's... Boy, it's really beautifully shot. It's just a wonderful, wonderful movie. Now, has the director gone on to do other movies that we know of? Uh, oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> he, yeah? He, he kind of has. It, oh. it says here in his uh, IMD page, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Oh, wow. Be darned. Holy cow. <laughs> he, hey, he also did Mississippi Burning, which I have seen, but it's been a long time. And I'd kind mm-hmm. of like to watch it again, knowing that and looking for some of the same beats and some of the same styles that he does in Angel Heart. Wow. Yeah, definitely a love letter to the Deep South, for sure. Also, for we talked, I think, last week about all the Oscar-nominated animated shorts that for the animal lovers, you may need to watch out for it. I think think in Angel Heart, obviously you get some chickens being killed, either mm-hmm. simulated or for real. I don't know. A crab gets thrown into boiling gumbo at one point. Also, a horse um, a horse may get shot, may just fall down and everything. It's kind of hard to tell. But yeah, just a, I always feel like certain trigger warnings I'm actually a fan of. And if you're worried about animal mutilation and everything, I think those are the only three in that one. Well, yeah, in the same scene where the horse gets shot, it's because someone's firing at um Harry as he's running away and he's also being chased by a big nasty looking pit bull and oh, just yeah. before the horse gets shot the horse kicks the dog but it's yeah, all that's right. you know, yeah. there's nothing graphic happening and obviously these are all animals that are trained to fall down on command Right, right. At the very beginning of the movie, I was a little worried because it's a dog walking down the street and it sees a cat up on a thing. And I'm like, oh, I hope the dog doesn't kill the cat. Nope. Dog's fine. Cat's fine. You're fine. It's It's not part of the story. It's just a thing. Dog dog finds a dead body on the street that is never addressed again. It is just there for color. Yeah. Oh, God. I remember when we were watching... 
Gone with the Wind in high school, and there's the scene where she's trying to drive the carriage through the battlefield, getting, um, I don't remember anybody's name, but she's like whipping the horse to get through this battlefield of dead bodies and everything, and they get to a certain point, and the horse is exhausted, and the horse falls down and dies, and every girl in the room, I don't want to be girly about this, but I swear to God, every girl in the room goes, oh, Mr. Bullen, like, sits up in his chair and looks around, and he's like, there's a field full of dead bodies, but you're worried about the horse? <laughs> you know, it's a thing, but whatever. No, I just remember that watching um, Hannibal, where Hannibal breaks into Will's apartment, yes. and all of Will's dogs greet Hannibal, and Hannibal's looking around, and I lean over to Elizabeth, and I say, nothing bad happens to the dogs. They'll just say, thank you. God, because I'm sorry I'm going to be worried about that if I don't. I just need to hear that. You take a big chance if you hurt the animals. No, you really do. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of other things that we could talk about, but we would give away the plot, which I don't want to do. I mean, it's actually, I think it's it's really solid. I think the plot holds together. I don't think any kind of plot holes you might have could be explained with the supernatural. Yeah, and it it definitely encompasses the whole idea of horror. It is a horrifying situation that the main character finds himself in for many reasons. And that, that one shot like panning in on a window glowing red and the fan blades swirling and you hear somebody screaming and then Harry wakes up out of a a nightmare. I'm like, that was properly terrifying right there. You don't even see anything. Nope, nope. It's really, yeah, it's, it's solid. I really like it. The only other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, we'd been talking about the Oscar-nominated animated films last week, and I did actually sit down to watch uh, The Mitchells versus The Machines. Uh-huh. It's fine. Okay. Uh, it's in, All right. Yeah. Um, I think you could explain, you could oversimplify the plot by saying a good-natured but somewhat hapless, dysfunctional family manages to get things together enough to save the world from giant robots. You know, it's kind of like, that's the okay. plot. Okay. Yeah, uh, I will say, though, and I can't, I don't want to give away too much, but the main bad guy in the story is voiced by Olivia Coleman. Oh, okay. She is the best thing about that movie. I am convinced. (laughs) And if you don't, if you don't want to watch the whole movie, which is fine, because like, I mean, any scene where there's like the technological marvels going on, these big sweeping sci-fi scenes, I think are amazing. Anything else, I'm like, eh. It's well done, certainly, but it didn't really reach me very much. But if you wanted to fast forward to the moment that is one hour, two minutes, and about 40 seconds into the movie, and just fast forward there and watch this one scene that does involve the main bad guy, I think it's the best scene in the whole movie. And it's, so, <laughs> it's very short, but it's so funny. And I just love the fact that Olivia Coleman just threw herself into the role. And also the way they animate that character is really, really very good. But um, there's not a chance that it would win over Encanto. I don't think it would win over Raya and the Last Dragon. But hmm. I haven't seen okay. I haven't seen Flea yet, so we'll see. I haven't seen Luca yet. I don't know. But anyway, just wanted to mention that I saw it. I'm hoping to put up a review of it. There may be one of our Instagram contacts who has a better review, but we'll see how that happens because we're specific. (laughs) Anyway, that's going to wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the fan art galleries. Still no Laura Olympus, but you're working on a Laura Olympus fan art right now, aren't you? Yes, I'll put the link to the Instagrammer who's doing a Laura Olympus hiatus fan art challenge, and she's Mm -hmm. come up with... 
ideas for like three months worth of challenges. And I saw one from March and I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I got the wrong characters. So Uh, now I'm not on a timetable anymore to get this done in time. I'm just going to finish drawing it. It's, you know, Hephaestus and Aphrodite and... Um, Aries, and it's based on a classical painting, which I'm just going to spoof the hell out of. So that's yeah, fine. Yeah. I'll definitely check out that Instagrammer because I think some of these challenges, like one of the random challenges, is Aphrodite and Artemis married. And for some reason, my brain was like, "Yeah, I'm, I want to do that one too." That would be very cute. I think that would be adorable. <laughs> yes. Anyway, all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So, no Laura Olympus next week. Um, I don't think we have Saga yet by next week. Well, we we still haven't talked about the first two issues yet, and I've still only read the first issue, so maybe we should talk about those next week. That would be a good plan. We can definitely do that. Also, The Magic Order by uh, Mark Millar should be wrapping up. I gotta tell you, I ain't impressed so far. Sorry. I mean, I think the art's gorgeous, but the story, I'm just like, the hell are you going with this dude i don't know but you know they'll there'll be a review when that final issue comes out um, <laughs> we'll talk about it on this podcast but anyway one way or the other we will talk to everybody in one week talk to y'all later